With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Business Aspirin. I'm your host, Clint Janelle. Today, I have with me John Domino with Rimaldi Davidson and Associates out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. John, how are you? Very good, Clint. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being here, man. And so the first time I tried to have John on, I had a, a mishap and was in the ER and I had to reschedule John. So I'm grateful that he was willing to circle back to us and have a conversation. John, thanks for real for being here and taking the time. Uh, I see the the roads behind you a little bit, and I know you're in Pittsburgh. I was just there recently. You guys got some snow on the ground right now, huh? We do. It warmed up. We had it over the weekend. Uh, Had a couple inches, four inches, and it warmed up, and we're expecting more uh, this weekend, which is good for the skiers and me, and uh, we enjoy it. It's that time of year. Absolutely. John, tell me a little bit about John and your history and how you got into your initial careers and what your career has spanned. And and then we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing now. I've been in the construction and restoration business since 1987. Prior to that, in high school, I uh, went to tech school. And I have had a passion for construction my entire life, even as a kid. And I really got into construction because I like to, to build things, to use my hand to solve problems. And the first six years of my career was mostly residential commercial construction in some sort. Worked as a carpenter, built homes, remodeled buildings and things like that. And then in 1993, a a friend of mine called me and said, hey, the company I work for is looking for some carpenters for their restoration business, insurance restoration. I had no idea what that was. So I started with a a company, Firedex of Pittsburgh, now owned by BMS Cat, and worked my way up through there for the next seven years carpenter, project manager, et cetera. And ultimately, it was time to move on. There wasn't enough. Uh, At that same time period, while I was working as a carpenter and project manager, I was also going to school at night, uh, Community College of Allegheny County. They had a wonderful program for both uh, construction management and construction estimating. I earned an associate's degree in both of those and uh, was out looking for something new. I was getting bored with the project management aspect And I was approached by another local company that was looking for a building consultant to do forensic work. And I had no idea what that was. So I talked to them, came on with that. And for, well, since 2000, 2000, I've been a a consultant, a building consultant in one way, shape or form. The local company I stayed with for 14 years, ownership changed. It was time to move on. And I was approached by a, the, 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 one of the biggest companies out there, uh, an international company, JS Held. They approached me and said, we don't have a Pittsburgh office. We want you to open that. 
And I did. And I had a staff of 10 people that were my consultants. We did work all over the tri-state area as well as all over the country. And a lot of things, things changed. It became very corporate. The company changed. And I said, again, five years, time to move. And I ended up at Romaldi Davidson, which uh, is an excellent small firm. We are specialists in forensic engineering. Most of the disciplines in the, the company are engineers, both mechanical, electrical, and structural. We also have a fire investigation unit. And these guys would call me for the past 20 years, even before I worked here, to write estimates for them and help them figure out restoration scopes. I would call them for engineering services. So it was a perfect mix um, of the black sheep of the company because I'm not an engineer. However, as I always say, just because, and they're going to probably hear it, just because you're an engineer doesn't make you a genius, doesn't make everything. There is a definite need for well-qualified restoration people out there that understand the process. And just because you're an engineer doesn't mean you know how to clean up fire, smoke, water, et cetera. So that's it. I fully agree with that. Sometimes being licensed and certified doesn't mean anything. That's right. It exactly. doesn't mean you're qualified to do what it is you think you're qualified to do. And I agree with that 100%. Uh, yep. We've seen that in on all aspects. And it's funny how that works. Uh, we're currently doing a fire cleanup for an aerospace engineer. Okay. And she is interesting in that she's complaining about all the other engineers that she works with that they don't know how things should work. And <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, right. Even amongst themselves, engineers sometimes believe the other people don't know what they're doing either. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. I'm going to have to chat with the guys a little bit because I'm glitching on my end quite a bit. Okay. I don't know if it looks jumpy to you or not. Yeah, a couple of times you stop, but you're working. It's working now. Yeah, interesting. I don't know what's happening on that. Sometimes Zoom gives me problems. But anyway, we're going to have them edit this part out and navigate that piece. Let me see if there's some things I could maybe get rid of real quick. like it's all fine i'll have them edit part of this out hopefully we can be smooth and ready to go so let's talk a little bit about you've ventured into the consulting thing and now what you're doing in your current role with Romaldi is helping restoration companies navigate the waters in terms of writing estimates writing scopes are you having what i would call now arguments with people like js held in response to uh, scopes that are being written. Now you're on the restoration company side of it. Uh, well, talk about that a little bit. It, it's interesting, Clint. The So we work for everybody, uh, building owners, insurance companies, restoration companies, you name it. And what we provide is a service to help you get through the project, be it a evaluation of the scope, of writing the scope, of working with you to help How do you deal with the insurance company that doesn't want to pay? How do you deal with the estimate that they think is not appropriate? So we help all parties. And actually, you know, for the longest time, I was working for insurance companies, which was fine. And as we both know, the industry has changed tremendously. Insurance companies have taken different views of things, not good or bad, but we've had, since I started in 2000, It used to be pretty simple. You'd have a loss. You'd have two parties, maybe a consultant like myself. We'd all get together, go out, look at it, agree. Maybe we disagree, but we'd agree, go to lunch. Back then, we used to have a cocktail, and then we'd sit down and talk about it and try to get it resolved. 
Now it's become a little bit more adversarial and there's parties and everyone's looking at it from their angle and not wanting to talk. But I do help restoration companies locally. I know everybody in the business and they'll call me and say, hey, John, I have this problem. How do I solve? Maybe from a scope issue, they ask for that. I have uh, four designations through the RIA. I'm two classes away from finishing my triple master with the IICRC. So my background is not only in the associates of or of estimating and project management, but also heavy into how to fix things in from a restoration standpoint. And sure. people call on me for that reason a lot of, I have this strange building and it had a fire. What do we do with that? And so that's really what I do with RDA. And interestingly enough, uh, as I said before, with the engineering side, we've We've come to terms, as I joke, with the engineers in that they stay in their lane with the structural aspect. For instance, I stay in a lane from how do we fix this building? And it's a perfect mix. Okay. You know, we walk out there on a job, the vehicle that went through the building, all right, I'll take and look at how do we fix the building? How, what's the construction? The engineers will look at physical damage and what are structural elements of this building need to replace? So we do that for everybody. And it's been pretty good, pretty receptive in Pittsburgh, and we want to keep it that way. And that's really the crux of what we do every day is solve people's problems, okay. right? That's our goal. Sure. Yeah. So what's the biggest pain that you're running into in terms of dealing with these restoration space clients? What's the primary wheelhouse of Rimaldi? What, are you, what would you say is your differentiator? What sets you apart from others? How are you solving those problems? And what are those problems and pains? By far, what sets us apart from other companies is our knowledge base. We, every one of our engineers are PhD engineers with years of experience. I think our youngest engineer is 55 years old, been around a long time. And then there's me with this knowledge base of estimating project management and restoration skills. What I find in, in with other companies I work for, other companies I interact with, is lots of guys, lots of people that do this, but they only know how to write an exactimate. When you get them into, I have a hotel currently I'm working on, good guys, but the problem is they don't want to handle any of the MEP. They don't understand any yeah. of the MEP. Sure. That's where the beauty of RDA is that I know it from a construction standpoint, but then if we have a question about why is there a boiler failure, well, how was this designed properly or improperly, I bring in one of our mechanical engineers, and it's sure. an in-house done. Sure. I want to touch base on that a little bit because I think it's important for those guys jumping into the restoration space to understand part of what you just said. And what you said was, you've got these adjusters, they're good guys, but they only know how to write an exactomy. <clears throat> they don't understand the construction side of things. And I think what we've run into a lot over the last at least five years, maybe even a decade, is that insurance companies had shifted to hiring adjusters and training adjusters how to document and put an exactimate what they can see. Oh, I see that's damaged. So I need to replace that, remove and replace an exactimate, but have no understanding of all the parts and pieces that go into the remove and replace of that one piece or what's behind it. Or uh, we had one where a tub had to be removed and replaced because the decking underneath it was damaged, but they wanted just, just to, on a second story, they wanted to just cut around the edge of the tub and just replace the decking that was outside the tub because that's all they could see that was damaged. No, that won't work. <laughs> exactly. So it's interesting that we've had some of those things and you bring that up. And I think that's something for a lot of the guys that are getting started. What happens is at times they jump into the space and they think that 
what the insurance company says on their initial estimate is what is gospel and the only thing that they're going to be able to do. And so then they wind up in a bind trying to navigate Mm -hmm. how to make these repairs for the dollar amounts the insurance company gave when they didn't include everything they should have. And so they're leaving money on the table that the insurance company is obligated to. And part of that is just ignorance on both people's heart. The new restoration guy doesn't understand how to have this argument. The insurance adjuster doesn't understand how to necessarily write all the things that they're supposed to be putting into Xactimate. And then the guys that have switched to Symbility, now you got to change your method and understand the parts and pieces that are different there to go to a different, or I guess what's called CoreLogic now, to um, it's still under simbility.net. I don't know. I think we're okay calling it whatever we call it at this point, but it's a different program, right? It operates differently. And as a result, that creates a little bit of a uh, confusion. And I think guys need to understand where those things come in. So that leads right into what John does, right? It does. And what my goal is after 30 years of doing this, I really want to help the next generation learn the way I learned. And we've gotten very far away from estimating in this business. What we have now is plug and play into Xactimate. And and I use, that's the program I use. Xactimate, and I'm going to say this, and I apologize right now, Xactimate is a pretty box. That's all Xactimate is. Sure. Xactimate spits out a number. That bottom line number is what you need to sell your job at. However, doesn't necessarily guarantee you have enough money in there to perform the job. And the problem as I see it right now, very few contractors are developing their project costs. Most of the people I run into, when I talk to them about that and say, hey, what are your costs and what are your profit margins? They give me this blank stare and say, Zactimate says it should be this much. I don't know about you, Clint, but I don't like relying on anyone for anything that makes me money. I rely on myself to make money. And- That includes insurance companies, that includes Xactimate, that includes consultants, that includes CIHs and engineers. I am responsible for that job. I'm responsible for that scope. And that scope is what drives the cost, not what Xactimate says, not what Symbility says. They're great programs. They're cool. You plug the, the sketch in, you can get all the calculations. But I use this example all the time. You can use Xactimate's drywall price. I can't remember what it is right now locally, but two bucks to hang drywall. What if you got to carry it up three flights of stairs? What if you got to carry it across the icy streets out there right now because it's wet and icy and nasty and it's going to be for the next four months or something? Exactly. And what I have been, I would say, preaching because I talk to people about this all the time. And actually, I've been talking to the IRA about this. And the IIC are about this, about developing estimating classes, not exactimate how-to classes, estimating classes that will show people in this business how to develop their costs, which is not hard. Costs are labor, material, and equipment. It's basic. You develop those costs. You understand what your profit margins are. That's your selling price. That's it. And it sounds simple, But what I'm finding is that you have estimators out there that are level one, two, and three, Xactimate specialists, that's great. You know everything. But when I ask them, okay, what are your profit margins and what are your costs on this job? They don't know. And how do you run a job and be profitable if you, as the estimator, don't know the cost and your project manager doesn't know the cost? That's a scary thing. Yeah. But it happens. You're just hoping. A a wing and a prayer, right? You're just hoping that. 
oh, we're going to make money at the end of the day on this. And the reality is, John, and I've seen it with some of the guys that I know and guys that I've talked to, and there are people that are running 10 million in revenue and aren't making a dime. That's right. And, but that level, they should be making a really good EBITDA at 10 million in revenue, but that's exactly what you're talking about. And to plug you, man, I don't know if you work nationally and consult nationally or whatever, or if it's all you have to be able to be on site in Pittsburgh and you can answer that question. But the reality is if they're in that boat, it would be cost effective to have some consultant like you. So how does somebody, when should someone look at hiring John? They definitely will win because what I'll do, and I do this all the time, again, for all parties, let, the first thing, the first and foremost thing is develop the scope. You ha- If you do not know where you're going with that project, you will never find the final number, right? right? How many times have we seen that contractors put in supplement after supplement, insurance companies fight them, or they'll put the supplement because the insurance company didn't want to pay it right the first time. You got to get the estimate as correct as you can the first time around, period. End of story. Don't make a concession. Yes, there may be things hidden under a floor or in the wall, or you may not know it. But for God's sakes, if you're not putting all the things you have to put in there and you're just making concessions because the adjuster doesn't want to do it or the owner doesn't want to, you're doomed to fail from the very beginning. Get the scope correct. You have to get that. Once you understand where you're going and what the scope is, now you can put the three components of it, labor, material, and equipment. It's that easy. But you have to understand, and let's talk about the material first. The material is the easiest part of all this. Because if you have the quantities of the building and you're writing a good scope and you know what to do, for God's sakes, call your vendors, go to Home Depot's website, get the price for the material. Understand how far a gallon of paint goes. Understand what you need to buy. Understand all the things that go along with putting that material in, the screws, the paint brushes, all those things. Make sure you're accounting for that. I, when I was working for restoration companies, I was shocked that people would write estimates and then they'd forget, oh yeah, I got to go buy brushes. And what did they do? They sent the guys to Home Depot to buy brushes. Now, you may not have accounted for that material and now your labor costs are getting eaten up because you're sending your guys out to buy material. So that. Sure. Understand the material you need, get that number set, and give yourself some wiggle room there. You know, your crew's going to screw up. I'm sorry. I was a carpenter. I still screw up, right? I do that. You cut a piece of trim. Give yourself a little bit of wiggle room. Just because you have 20 lineal feet of crown mold in Xactimate doesn't mean you're going to use that. You better figure some waste. Same with drywall. That's the the classic one. I hear carriers saying, we don't pay for waste. Who does? (laughs) Because I'm not paying for it. Right? It's not my cost. Someone has to buy it. So once you figure, once you start looking at this and you understand, and like I said, materials easiest. Labor, that's where you really need to understand your organization because not only do you have the cost of the person doing the work, all the fringes, all the benefits, all the items that go along with the cost to that labor, taxes, you have to figure that in. Once you get these costs all set, same with equipment. you got to rent equipment. You have a piece of drying equipment that has depreciation. And you, you need to understand all this. Maybe you need to buy filters for that equipment. But an air scrubber, right. you just don't throw out there with dirty filters. you got to put new filters in, right? So you, right. you figure, understand all these costs. Put that together. And you should be able to come up with a good, solid estimate of what my costs are. Once I, you have... good. 
So I would say in regard to that, when you were talking about labor is I want to make sure that our guys are actually including um, all the ancillary labor pieces associated with it. Yeah. What is the administration staff having to do in the office to affect specifically this job? If if this job wasn't occurring, what do you have to do? Because for me, that's a direct job cost. Now, insurance companies continue to go, that's just the cost of doing business. That's their that's their buzzword for that sort of thing. Oh, that's just your overhead and profit. That's the cost of doing business. But then they don't want to pay overhead and profit on certain things. So I'm not sure how yep. I'm supposed to get paid if I can't get overhead and profit and I'm not supposed to be able to include these as a cost of doing business. I don't understand, you know, where that comes from. But carry on with what you were saying. I just so, wanted to throw that out there. What I see as the way and, and I have been doing this for the, the last so I've been estimating since about ninety-nine, I figure my cost for a job. And I come up and I establish those costs. And no, I have to make, I have to spend this much or less. That's the cost. Once I establish that, I can now give that to my project manager and say, oh, yeah, by the way, here's how I figured this. Review it. If you have time, this is all you get to buy. You don't get to buy all extension cords for this, you don't get to buy shop backs. I budgeted X amount of money to get this job done. So now you've set the precedent of this job. Here's how much time the guys have to do it. I mean, I witnessed it. I was there. I've done it. You know, you send men out to the job to do something and they don't have any material. What do you do? They sit in a van. That's a project manager's job, but that's a waste of time. That's a waste of money. So you at least give your project manager the path to get the job done with the cost. So you're killing two birds with one stone right there. You know what it's going to cost. Your project manager knows what it's going to cost. And now you have to figure out your profit margin. What is your company's profit margin? If you're a restoration company, an owner or an estimator, and you don't know that, you're not doing, you're not going to do anything good for anyone. And you know what? The way I see this is the insurance companies, that's not their business, but it is their business. They're using Xactimate pricing that builds in what the profit margins are for the region, for the area. And I'll plug this if, if anyone's interested. If you have not taken the Xactimate pricing course, actually the RIA is offering it uh, next week, take that course. It's 100 bucks online, two days, and you will learn how Xactimate prices things. It's very interesting. And it gives you some insight of how to talk to insurance companies about that price rather than saying Xactimate says that, I don't know. Uh, yeah, again, exactly. you're, relying, yeah. you're relying on someone else to set your prices. So getting back to the profits, I see things this way. You have your costs for the job that are fixed. They're not going to change. That's what it's going to cost you. If you wrote a good estimate, that's the cost. Maintaining that cost for the scope. Your profit margins, that's a company decision. Is it 50%? Is it 40%? Is it 60%? But you should at least know what the goal is, what you're shooting for. So sure. if you take your costs times your profit margin, that's your selling price, which is the number at the end of Xactimate. You do that math and you come up short in that number in Xactimate, you're not going to make money, right? If you come up over that, all right, you're good. You have some wiggle room. What I've been telling people is you need to understand your costs. You need to give a selling price. Now, what do you do if an insurance company doesn't want to pay that? Now you have the ability to understand where the wiggle room is in your estimate, if you want to. You may say to yourself, obviously, I need $10,000 for to cover my cost for this job, and I'm trying to sell it at $18,000. They don't want to pay that. 
maybe I'll take a, a bit of a concession on my profit margin. But like we all do, I don't know if you guys are all married. I when my wife and I negotiate for something, I want to get something out of it and she gets something out of it, right? That's sure. just life. So what's the negotiation? I'll take a couple percentage points off of my profit if you pay me tomorrow or if you pay me in these stages or if you give me a check when I'm done with this job. I'm not going to take a concession and wait 60 days to get my money. That's right. crazy. So you, you see where I'm going with this is we got to look at this differently now. We don't look at the, we shouldn't be looking at this anymore of Xactimate says, this is all I get, and I hope to make money off of it. We should be looking at this as, here's my costs. I know these costs. Now I can look at my profit as where I may want to make some concessions. If I don't want to, if I'm running it that tight and I don't have the room to make concessions, here's an easy answer. Walk away from the job. I'm not going to make money. Yeah. But if I'd rather you not, don't, I'd rather not make money on the, before I started the job than not make money at the end of the job. It, bingo. But how many times do we see contractors All write time. an Xactimate estimate and cry, oh, I'm not making any money on this. Yeah. First off, they probably don't know if they're not making any money on it. Secondly, now you're in a position the job's almost done. Now what are you going to do? The insurance yeah. company has the upper hand. Late at that point. Um, and interesting in regard to part of that statement is Xactimate also has a white paper out that says, we are not the end-all be-all of pricing structures. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say it that way. But what they say is, this is a tool to help you get where you're supposed to be, but this does not, even their contract with the carriers doesn't require that it's locked into this specific pricing structure for every contractor and everybody has to do that. And so that's one of the things I probably need to make available for everyone is let them see that white paper and see what Xactimate said about it. Because I know Mark Springer had a full-on conversation with him, yeah. right? Brought him in. We had the whole interview uh, on RIA town hall meeting, I think it was called at that time or whatever. And mm -hmm. Xactimate said, this is not the reality of where we're at. And so that's valuable to guys like you and I, and anybody out there trying to get started. But what I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, John. What, what I was going to say is I, I took the, R, the, the Xactimate pricing list class at the RIA convention last year down in Florida. And it was very interesting. And 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 I'll I'll just tell you right now, I'm Sicilian, I'm Italian, and I talk and I think and I open my mouth probably a little bit too much than I should. But I, I had to bite my tongue on a lot of things in that class. Because one of the things that they said they were they it was very informative. Again, I would highly recommend anyone take that's in this business. But what, what Xactimate told us was that if you look in their price structure for a line item, there's labor material equipment and job conditions, right? And one of the things that, that they were stressing in that class was you can modify the price of something by putting in job conditions. And we know, we've all done it, right? And, and I almost chimed in there, and but I didn't. The reason I didn't is you do that, and I won't go into who, which carriers are which, because I'm not here to bash anybody. But you do that to a carrier, what's the carrier going to say? Oh, no, no, Xactimate says that's the price. Yep. So that battle... Money. And you can show that white paper all you want, but they're going to say, no, we accepted exactly pricing, blah, blah, blah. Here's the way I look at it. And I, again, I go back to, you need to use Xactimate stability. One of the, any of these, you, you cannot give a, a labor material equipment price and, or a one item price or a spreadsheet. Even. People don't understand that. But what you as a contractor needs to do is understand what the costs are for the job, understand your profit margins, make sure you write that estimate, because once you do that, 
once you understand your costs, your profit margin, and your selling price, short of you putting BS line items in the estimate, you'll A, realize what you should be putting in there to get to the final number you need to sell the job at, and B, you'll be in a much better position to defend that estimate. Absolutely. Rather than walk in there when the adjuster says, I'm not paying to spray seal all four sides of the studs. And you can think to yourself, wait a minute, I figured my painters in two days and I've got to buy three five-gallon buckets of bin that are now, what, a hundred bucks a five, right? Yeah, and yeah. I know what my costs are. I'm not making a concession on that. And you're in a better position to discuss that. And as we always say, knowledge is the key. The more you understand, the better. And the Absolutely. more you go into the, these, these discussions, you can win that battle. And if the adjuster is going to listen... Where they say, oh, we'll get XYZ down here to do the job. Let them lose money. Why lose money on it? We actually have those discussions that same way. Part of what you said, we're not going to pay to spray all four sides of the stud. Okay, tell me which side you want to spray. Right. We'll spray that side. And you need to explain to your customer why you're not paying for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And then we have literally had, we've been just recently, structure fire where they want the roof tarped, and but they were concerned about the, the pricing structure because the roof itself is pretty sketchy right now because of mm-hmm. the fire. And they're like, oh, we get one of our vendors to do it. Then guess what? They couldn't get one of their vendors to do it. So now, right. and so we've put them in that position. We're like, send them. Oh, we, you, our vendor will do it for this. Okay, well, send them. And then I'll just make the overhead and profit off of them. Mm-hmm. Half the time they can't make that happen. So I love that you said that because the reality is that's sometimes the way to do it, a way to address it. Hey, send them out. I'll use them. If they're spectacular, I'll use them. And I'll just take the overhead and profit off the top of it. Right. Um, and that's one of the ways that you can do it. Now you don't make your margin you're trying to make, which is getting OMP because you're at maybe 16, 14, 16%, depending on where you're at when that's all said and done. But the other part of all this is the ability to get a number, a ROM up front. That I just had a project, a large school, national vendor on it. And we were damn near begging them to tell us how much it was going to cost. We're going to do it all in time material. And I said, great. How much is it going to cost? We don't know. We can't put that together. And I said, you do this for a living. How can you not tell me what you think this is going to cost? It's the same scope throughout the school. It was demo. It's this clean. scope 57 yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. Take a number for a classroom, multiply it times 100. I don't care. Give me a number what you think it's going to be. They would not commit. You know what happened? One of the one of the national companies brought in our mitigation review company and they cut the crap out of the estimate. And now everyone's up in arms now. And I said, boy, if somebody would have just been honest and said, I think it's going to cost one to five million, at least the carrier would have been like, oh, my God. But they would have known. Yeah. And so when we go into these projects, when contractors go into these projects, sit down, spend a couple to five hours, come up with a number. There's lots of ways to get it wrong. I We use a yellow sheet, what I call it. We used to use yellow tablets and we just noodle right down through. How much is a demo? How much is this? How much is that? Come down with our costs, multiply. We used to use 1.57, a company I was at. Multiply times that, there's your wrong. We Usually my boss and I would go look at a, a million dollar loss, go to lunch afterwards, We'd sit down, come up with that ROM by three o'clock. We're telling a carrier, we think it's going to be about $5 million or whatever it is. Yep. It's not hard. You can do it using square foot costs, yep. whether it's Xactimate means 
get a square foot cost for the building and back out what isn't damaged. But for God's sakes, get some expectation because how many times, Clint, have, have we been on projects where the carrier's thinking, all right, we're just going to go in and wipe the walls down, spray some food juice, and we're done. The contractor's thinking, holy cow, I got to demo this whole thing, clean the bar joist, seal everything, all the wood framing. And now we get three quarters into the job because nobody's talking. The contractor isn't talking to the adjuster, isn't talking to the consultant, the owners aren't involved. Yep. And now what the adjuster was thinking it was going to cost $250,000, it's now $3 million. And usually at that point, they call me and say, John, we got a problem. And I walk into this thing that it's almost done. With everything on fire. Yeah. yeah. Get in early. What do you think it is that is preventing, in the case of the national vendor or, or the others that you deal with, what is it that's preventing someone from wanting to be able to throw a number? Is it that they think that they're going to be held to that and they're going to lose? They're going to, leaving something on the table? Is it they don't know how to do it? What's your experience in regard to these guys you're working with? I that, think, go. No, that's just keeping them from getting it done. Okay. What I think is they education, they don't know how to do it. They don't, and they're scared of putting a number out there because it'll be held to what that number is, what you just said. They, they don't have the education to lay it out. I, and this isn't a knock against anybody, but let's be realistic here. How do most people? that become estimators in this business become estimators, right? They started with a restoration company. They worked their way up through. They were given a chance at estimating residential. They, they, they moved up and they were told to go to training for Xactimate and that's it. Yep. They never were taught estimating, right? Estimating is part art, which is a lot of it. There's a lot of art involved in estimating and there's a lot of tangible numbers. If you don't understand how to marry those two and you don't understand a construction process or the restoration project process, you'll never be successful. So that's the education part of it. Sure. So they want to just plug and play things into Xactimate or into their national numbers, or we know we're going to get cut. So we might as well just put everything in, including the donuts we buy every day and the lodging and blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't it be more realistic? And I will tell you a firsthand experience of this one time. And I will mention the carrier's name because it ended very well. It's Reserve Insurance had a project in Virginia that had a fire at a 10-story medical building. And they had to be back open in four months because their leases were on the line. There were all these doctors in this building, rooftop fire. It literally drenched the building all the way down, including smoke damage and some structural damage. And the contractor on a job also had some interest in the building. They owned part of it. They were a developer and owned it, blah, blah, blah. So I said to our client, I said, look, you want this done. Let me work with the contractor. Let us develop the scope. The numbers will work together. I'll use some of their numbers. They'll use some of mine. We'll come up with this. We had weekly meetings. We discussed all the pitfalls of that. We had issues with elevator contractors, everything that went through there. Attorneys were involved in this. Everyone wanted to sue each other. There was some subrogation because of the fire, blah, 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 the usual stuff. But it ended up being, I think, around four and a half million dollars. We had a number finalized in four months, agreed to by all parties, and a job was done in six on a 10-story building. And one of the attorneys said on the call, I can't believe this went this good. How come it got done? And I said, let me chime in here. 
And they said, what? I said, it got done because myself and the contractor were allowed to work together. And our goal was to get the job done. And that is something so important that is missed. Again, not knocking people here, but I see it all the time. What's the goal of a job? To make money. Yes, we have to do that. I, I see no problem with that. Because if we don't, we won't be here, right? That's right. But That's on right. the other hand, let's take a look at getting the project done for the owner. <laughs> That's the ultimate goal. And how do we do that? Make money and all parties are happy. It's that simple. But what I see is nobody wants to show their cards. Nobody wants yeah. to talk about how much. And I've actually heard it from consultants. The carrier wants me to come in low and then we'll work our way up. Why? Get the right number. And that's what I used to do when I was a consultant. Get the right number and prove your case why it's that number. If contractors did that, I bet you they'd be surprised at how many adjusters just say, oh, wow, okay, you show me, and I'm not condoning showing all your costs, but maybe show some sub bids. Maybe show, I have a sub bid, I'm going to mark it up 10% or 20% or whatever you do, you know, show that and say, here's my sub bid for my electric. Here's my plumber's bid. He's ready to go, but I need some money to get this moving. But here are my costs. Here's what I'm, I need to finish this job. Oh, give a schedule. That's another thing people don't do. I love that. When sure. are you going to be done? I don't know. I'll go back to the money pit. Two weeks. We'll be done in two weeks, right? So you give a schedule, give a cost. That's more information. The insurance companies, they may fight you, but you'll have more information than they will, and it'll go. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, we so, always try to make sure we provide a timeline because people, especially commercial or residential, right? If they're out of their facility, they're anxious, and they want to know what's going to be happening and when it's going to be back. And that alleviates the stress that causes you a whole load of headaches that burns into your profitability. Exactly. The more you times know. you have to have a conversation with someone because they don't know what's going on, the, the more you lose. If you want to make more money, make it happen faster with better communication to your people, because communication helps in that process, too. But you are correct. I'll leave you with another point. We had a project. We actually worked for the owner. They were a tire company. They made high-end drag, drag radials for drag cars, for drag strips. They had financial commitments to Summit Racing, to Jigs, to all these companies to make these tires. And we were hired as a project manager for this project by the owner. The carrier was okay with it. I happen to know the carrier and the adjuster. They wanted us to come in to get their project done because there was a national restoration company on it. There were multiple vendors and everyone was just doing the same thing. And they said, John, herd the cats, get this done for us. And for, and this was right in the middle of COVID. This was uh, 2020. And we had to replace a complete electrical room. It was a pretty big project. And at one point, nobody was working together. And I finally, we had calls every day, which goes to your communication mm -hmm. comment. You have to have calls. And I finally said, because everyone would make promises, nobody would deliver, and I'd call them on it, and everyone's mad. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm done. We're, I'm going to get to the point here. Guys, I understand you got to make money. That's no problem. But the goal of this job is to get this done for the company because they're going to lose. If you don't tell me when you're going to get this stuff, we'll have to find somebody else. you got to tell me what we're doing and stick to it. I was nice about it. I wasn't a jerk about it. But after that, everyone had that, okay. And look, I was not well-liked on that job, but my job was to get the job done. Sure. And that, I think people miss the point. They're worried about picking people off, whatever. 
you're there to get a job done, move on to the next one. You're not there to camp out for the next six months because we don't know what kind of work we're going to have. Get the job done, make money, move on. That's what we do. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I mean, I appreciate you being on. I I would contend that the gist of our conversation leads to, hey, find your number early. Find your number, make sure you know what you're making. And then at the end, let's communicate. And I think those points are all valid in terms of if people will pay attention to that, if they'll listen to this podcast and listen to what you're saying, then I think that would be spectacular in terms of their ability to be more successful and more profitable overall and produce a better product, honestly, because then they're not worried about what they're losing in the process. And so I think that's spectacular. And I really appreciate you being on. I thank you. I'm hoping I'll leave you with this where I've talked to the RIA and the IICRC about estimating about developing classes. And that's what I'd like to see in the industry. Again, there's nothing wrong with Xactimate or any of the other estimating software, but I'd love to see people get involved and understand and learn how to estimate. And that's something that I'm working on to try to develop those classes for that very reason. Well, I love the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I'd love to see that happen, man. If I can help in any way, keep me posted um, and we'll certainly be in communication. And thanks again so much for your time. And I'll talk to you soon, John. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, John. Have a good day. We'll see you. Take care, my friend. This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.